Well, welcome everybody to Grace this weekend. It's good to see you. Thanks for coming out to Launch Weekend. Uh, this weekend is better known as the day after the second win for the Ohio State Buckeyes. So welcome to that weekend. We're really excited that they beat the Rainbow Warriors. What a lame name. I, I would, sounds like a Lucky Charms commercial. Anyways, it's good to have you here and praise the Lord that we're uh, going to take the championship again. But we're here to talk about the Lord. So let's go ahead and do that. We're going to start a, a new series this weekend called Through Thick and Thin. Good friends are hard to find. And I'm actually really excited to get into this series. Um, this is one that I've been, I've kind of kept on a shelf for four or five years. I just never found the, uh, the right time to work it into our preaching rotation. But it's actually something that's kind of been uh, close to my heart. It's something that I believe is a very important part of our relationship with God. Uh, part of why it means a lot to me is I, friendship is a big deal to me. Um, and God just kind of wired me that way. I think in terms of friendship and I pursue friendships and being loyal to friends is like a a big part of my life. And I, I like to work for the Lord and live in that kind of community feel, right? So even when I think about our church, I don't like to think about it in terms of like the clergy and the laity, right? I want to think about it in terms of friendships. I don't want to work with volunteers. I want to invest myself with my friends and similar passions. I don't like to nurture donors. Uh, I like to look at friends and say, hey, you want to really join together and do something that has great eternal value to it. So I kind of work like that. I kind of think like that. And when I look back over my life, I've seen just kind of the payoff of that. That when I look back over my life, being committed to friendships, being kind of determined to lock into friendships has paid enormous dividends in my life. A lot of the joys of my life are tied to my friendships, laughing together, vacationing together, doing that kind of the, kind of the fun part of life. The pains of my life, I look and I see friends in those pictures, knowing that you know sometimes you just need people to run to your side and friends are a part of that. And then the great investments of my life are tied to doing that as a group of friends or the body of Christ, doing it in conjunction with other people pursuing those dreams together. So friendship's a big deal. And one of the things we're going to discover as we go through the scriptures here is that more than you might think, friendship comes out in the Bible in in massive ways. Jesus himself refers to friendship, helps us to understand our relationship with him in kind of terms of friendship. So it's all over the place. Our friends affect us positively and negatively. And so the Bible talks a lot about that as well. And then even the very core of our relationship with God would be interpreted through friendship. How a church is to work would be interpreted through friendship. And so it's, it's a concept I think it's going to be fascinating to dig at. I think you're going to get a lot of uh, kind of insight and excitement about it. And I'm excited to do that. Now, as we jump into this conversation this weekend, I want to lay down some foundations, right? So we're going to kind of kick it off this weekend, lay down some vocabulary and some paradigms, and then we'll dig in, start digging into the meat of it next weekend. But before we get moving beyond kind of the practical parts of friendship, I want to build what's called a theological construct or a paradigm. So I want to look at the scriptures. I want to look at God 
I want us to understand something about God so that we understand something about ourselves. And then we're going to talk about friendship through that window for the next uh, three, four, five weeks, okay? So grab your Bibles if you got them. Let's lay down kind of the theology first and open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. I want you to see something about God. Genesis chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's some there in the chairs. You can grab those. It's page 1 in those Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible or a newer one, just keep that. If you want to use your, uh, your smartphone, uh, we uh, use the app. Just go to the App Store, grab uh, the Grace Church app, hit live, and all the notes and everything are right there. So Genesis chapter 1, I want to show you a pattern in Genesis chapter 1, and then I want to show you kind of how God thinks and how we were created, okay? So Genesis chapter one and two is the account of creation. If you ever wondered where you came from, uh, ever wondered what the origins of man are, uh, the Bible tells us this. We were, we were created by an intelligent designer, a God who put us together and put the planet together on purpose. That's why it works the way that it works. And the Bible gives us an account. It says that God created over what the Bible would call six days, so he created for six days, and then he rested on the seventh, and God created in an order, okay? So he kind of went through it in a linear fashion and created in an order, and Genesis 1 and 2 tells us about this. So if you look, for instance, at verse um, 9, you start to see this pattern, and God said, let the water under the sky be gathered in one place and let the dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered the, the gathered waters he called seas. And here's the rhythm I want you to see. And God saw that it was good, right? So verse 11, he goes on. He says, let the land produce vegetation. Uh, verse 12, the land produce vegetation. Plants bearing seeds according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed according to its own kind. And God saw that it was Good. So he puts the vegetation on the earth. He looks at it. After he's done that, created how vegetation works, how it reproduces, photosynthesis, the whole nine yards, he created it, and it was good. Okay, uh, verse 14. He said, let the lights be in the vault of the sky. So he creates the stars, the sun, the moon, sets up the rotation of the earth. Night is uh, dark as night, light is day. God creates all of that. The end of verse 18, after he had done all that, God saw that it was good, all right? Uh, verse 20, he creates the, the creatures in the sea. So the fish, the ecosystems, the whole nine yards. End of verse 21, God saw that it was good. Uh, verse 24, God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their own kind. So livestock and wild animals and all the rest. End of verse 25, and God saw that it was good. So read all that. If you've never read it before, read it, read it all. It's fascinating. But you see that pattern that God creates, and after he's finished creating, he kind of steps back, so to say, looks at his creation, and he pronounces it good. Now, the word good is a fascinating word. When you take the word good from the English and you push it back into the Hebrew which we translated it from Hebrew into English, so you push it back into the Hebrew. The word good has a lot of meaning to it. So what the word good in Hebrew means is it means perfect and complete. So it's perfect, it's complete. So it's the idea that God would step back and he would say, 
what I just did is perfect and complete. There's nothing more for me to do. It's perfect. I have finished it. It's like, a, think of an artist painting something or sculpting marble or whatever. They would step back and they would say, it's good. There, it doesn't need another brush stroke. It doesn't need another, you know, strike of the chisel. It is complete. What I had in my mind and what I had in my heart has come out perfectly with completion. I am, I am done. This is as good as it can possibly be what I so what I saw, what I sensed, it is good, okay? Now, God looks at all of his creation that way, and if you look at verse, uh, chapter, 20, uh, chapter 1, verse 26, you see him creating humanity. God says some different things about humanity. So let's look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our own image, and our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image, and the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So God creates now humanity. Humanity is the crowning point of the creation. We're the focal point. We're the crowning achievement of creation. So God created and the Bible says that God created us in his image. We'll come back to that in a minute. So God looks and he says, let us create mankind in our image. What that is, is we call it the Trinity. It's the first time you see the Trinity in the whole Bible. So the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, the three in one, the Trinity, are creating. Let us create mankind in our image, right? And he creates them male and female. Now, what's interesting here, if, when you jump over to chapter 2... God kind of looks back on the creation of humanity and he fills in some more blanks. So chapter two, verse 15, he talks about how it worked a little bit. The Bible says he creates Adam first. Then in verse 15, the Lord God took the man, that's Adam, and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the, in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. That happens in chapter 3. That's when sin enters the world. Look at verse 18, though. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So, so the only time in all of creation that God stepped back after he created something, he created man, Adam, right? He's creating humanity. He steps back, he looks at Adam, and he says, this is incomplete. This is not finished. There needs to be another brush stroke here. Something's missing. All I know what it is, man is alone. So God created Eve, woman, and now humanity, the creation of humanity is now good. It's now complete because there's man and woman. So God looks at Adam and he creates. The first relationship that ever existed in humanity is a relationship between God and man, Adam and God. They had a perfect relationship because sin hadn't entered into the world yet. That doesn't come until the next chapter of the Bible. But when God looked at mankind, when he looked at Adam, who is in perfect relationship, there's no sin yet, God looked in his relationship with man and said, it's not good. Man is not, even with a perfect relationship with me, mankind is not complete. 
What he needs is another human being. So the second relationship in all of Scripture is a marriage between a man and a woman, between Adam and Eve, right? And so you see that primary relationship, and God says, oh, now that there's a relationship between Adam and me and Adam and Eve, now it's good. Now it's complete. Back in chapter 1, when God is creating, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity is creating, he says, let us make man in our image. What is the image of God? Because humanity is the only part of creation that's created in the image of God. So being created in the image of God means a bunch of different things, but some of the primary things it means is this. Number one, that we are created with souls. So humanity is the only part of creation that has a soul, and that's the image of God. The rest of creation reflects the glory of God, the book of Romans says, but only humanity is created in the image of God. That means that we have a soul. So only human beings have to satisfy spiritual questions in our lives because we have a soul, because we're eternal. So only human beings get up and come to church, right? Only, only a human being would do that, right? Your hamster doesn't do that. Your dog doesn't do that. Your cat worships the devil. So right, that's just not going to happen, right? So only human beings would do that. Only human beings would pray. Trees don't pray. They're living, and they reflect the glory of God. Actually, the Bible says that we're to care for creation but they don't have a soul. They're not eternal in nature, right? Only a human being would pray. Only a human being would worship. It's only human beings that will find something to worship. Animals don't do that, right? So we have a soul. We're eternal. That's the image of God, the spiritual nature of God being created into us. Now, here's something else. Only human beings must have relationships with each other. We're the only part of creation like that. Other parts of creation, they'll run in packs, they have instincts, all those kind of things. But human beings are created. We must have relationships with other human beings or our lives are incomplete. That is a reflection of God within us. That's the image of God created within us, right? We have to connect. So we have that on very very basic levels. So you have like parents and children, right? Parents and children have to connect. If a dog has puppies, I can take that puppy and I can give it to someone else and that puppy will go to that family and it will live a happy, healthy life and it will never wonder why its mother abandoned it, right? It doesn't care it's a dog. If you did that with a baby... Even in the most healthy, adoptive situation, that child will long to know the questions surrounding his or her birth mother and father. What is that? That's spiritual. That's the soul. That is the image of God within us, right? Only human beings desire to fall in love and, and marry. That's a, that's a human endeavor. Why do I need to be loved and need to love someone else? Why is that such a drive within me? Well, that's my humanity. That's the image of God within me, right? So your, your, your cat and dog, they don't actually love each other. They just get along because the cat's plotting of how to destroy the dog's life, right? So the... But human beings, we need to love. Now, here you go. Ready? Only human beings need friendship. We're the only part of creation like that. We need 
friends. If, if I don't have a friend in my life, I as a human being feel a deep void in my life. In fact, it will be one of the most painful parts of my life. If I look and say, I don't have any friends. You could even say, well, I, you got great parents. Yeah, but you, you've, you've got, you know, great siblings. Yeah, but I need friends. Well, why? Why is that? I would submit to you that that's not a cultural issue. It's not a social issue. It's a spiritual issue. That, that's a spark of the divine within us. That's the, that's the image of God playing out. Because God is in perpetual friendship, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. God's never alone, never has been, never will be. It's the eternal nature of God. And humanity is in the image of God. We need that. We need friends. People who don't want friends are unhealthy people. People who don't have friends are sad people looking for friends. This is such a strong drive within us that we'll latch on to anybody who will accept us. Right? Uh, Heidi and I never pray harder than when our kids go to school for the very first time. We just pray like crazy that day. Why? Because we know that whoever accepts it, whoever they have lunch with that day is going to affect their lives in huge ways. Right? It's a spiritual thing. Whoever says, come sit with me, is who they're going to latch on to. It's the nature of humanity and it's actually a spiritual element of who we are. So you start taking that truth, that theological construct, that what God is like and what we're like, right? And you start taking that truth, and all of a sudden, you'll start to see that light up all throughout the Scripture. And you'll start to see relationships all through Scripture, and you will see friends that are, we would say, Christ-centered friends, and those two people or that group of people, they'll latch onto each other, and they will do enormously powerful things for the Lord. They find courage and strength and encouragement, and it's a basis of deep friendship that kind of latches that on. You could look at the disciples that way, right? Part of what was going on with them as a group was a friendship. You can find the opposite side. You can find stories all throughout the Scripture, and they would be reflective in your own life, where you see people latch on to unhealthy relationships, and it destroys their life because of where those relationships go, right? It's not luck of the draw. It's decisions, but it's understanding kind of the, the power, the importance of friendship and how God uses it. Now, this is such a basic human instinct that when Jesus is describing his relationship with his followers, he uses the term friendship. So just like he would talk about us, the church being the body of the Christ or the family of God, those are basic components, God our Father, basic components of humanity that make sense to us. One of the things Jesus says is, he says, if you're now my follower, I am no longer your master and you're my servant. We are now friends. And that term friend makes sense to every human being on the planet. We would all understand that and understand, oh, wait a minute. If I have a friendship with God, see, now you get into these really fascinating questions. Well, what does that look like? Because I was always afraid God was just going to zap me. Or I was just being, you know, dutiful and coming to church and practicing my religion. But a friendship with God, that's how Jesus describes it, 
It's a whole different metaphor. It's a whole different picture. It's a whole different relationship. So it becomes this big deal. It becomes this really interesting deal as you go through the scripture. And as we dig at this, what's going to happen is your relationships with other people will kind of light up a little bit. But more importantly, your relationship with God and his church is going to light up in some really cool ways as we discover friendship. So I, I just wanted to give you, um, I, I want to give you now just like a quick overview of this. So that, that's kind of like the theological door we're walking through, the construct or the paradigm that we're going to think through friendship on. I want to show you some of these, like it's almost a vocab that we're going to use and just how over the next few weeks we're going to talk about different types of friendships and how they play out in our life. So uh, Bill Hybels, a great author, wrote a book called Simplify. He says there's three types of friendships. I say there's five. Bill's wrong. I'm right. I sent him my book. He'll read it. He'll probably change. I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. But he, he lays out three. I actually think there's more. But we're going to talk in terms of these five levels of relationships over the next few weeks. So the, the first one uh, he calls uh, circumstantial friends. Right, so circumstantial friends. So these are people that I know and even care about because we share the same circumstances. Uh, we live beside each other. We work together, go to school together, play sports together. We go to the same gym. Um, we may go to church with each other. Right? So circumstantial friendships. Now, most of your social media friendships are circumstantial friendships. So most of Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or your Snapchat stuff that you do, it, it's, those are circumstantial friendships. Here's the deal. Those are actually real friendships. Don't hear me discount them. They're just shallow. There's just not a depth to knowing each other. So we're going to talk about what, how does that work and how does that play out and how is that part of our relationship even with God, circumstantial friendships. The second thing we're going to talk about is what we call seasonal friendships. So these are folks that there's a season in our life where we have a meaningful relationship with each other. Your high school friends, your college friends, right? Or on and on and on and on. You fill in whatever blank. But these are folks that for, there was a season in my life that we were close friends. Circumstances shift. Seasons change. We're not as close as we used to be. However, if they move back in right next door to us, we might pick that friendship up where it, where it left off. No big wound has happened. There's not a reason that we're not a friend anymore. It's just the way kind of life goes. The third type of friend we're going to talk about is a lifelong friend. A lifelong friend. And this is a friendship that surpasses time and cir or, uh, space and circumstances. Okay, time and circumstances. So over time... Regardless of our circumstance, you live in a different part of the country, whatever, we have worked at maintaining a friendship, right? And they're a lifelong friend, somebody that we would go through life with. The fourth type of friendship that we're going to talk about is destructive friendships. This is huge. It's really fascinating that the Bible, Jesus, the New Testament especially, talks a lot about loving people no matter what. Right, so we love our neighbor, we love our enemies, we love those who persecute us. The, the Bible's like crystal clear about that. However, what's interesting in the Bible is this. The Bible would say that there are certain types of people, we would love them, but we would limit our relationship with them. And a destructive friend is one of those people the Bible identifies. So the Bible would call that person a fool or a scoffer is a, a biblical word for it. And the Bible would say this, that those people will take you to 
ruin. They will actually destroy your life, and you should cut them out of your life and not have anything to do with them. doesn't mean that I withhold love. It means I withhold and limit relationship. It's a very fascinating conversation to have and how a destructive friendship is so negative to us. And then the last level of friend we're going to talk about are friends that become family. Friends that become family. And these are, these are friends that supplement or substitute biological relationships. They supplement or they substitute biological relationships, right? So I have friends like this. I actually have a great family. I love my biological brother and sisters deeply. These friendships supplement those relationships for me. Some of us have horrible families. And so these friends substitute. They become family. It's what the Bible calls a friend that is closer than a brother. And the depth of those friendships and that level is the level that most closely mirrors the relationship that God wants to have with us. So it's fascinating to, to look at. Now, this, this is what I, I think is so cool. God, right, God creates us to desire friendship. So your desire to have friends is not peer pressure. It's spiritual. It's divine. God created you that way. It's a good thing, right? He creates us to look for friendships with each other and a friendship with him, then he makes a way for us to have a friendship with him. So that's the gospel. Christ, you're a sinner. Jesus is our savior. He comes, he dies, right, for our sins. So he creates us for a friendship. He creates a way for friendship. Now, this is where it gets really, really cool. And then he also created an environment to create friendships. Most friendships are created. They're not discovered. That's a big misnomer. Most friendships are created, they're not discovered. The environment that we can create Christ-centered friendships is the church. It's a big way that, we're, that Jesus would say, you can understand how the church is supposed to function if you understand what real friendships are. And a church, a healthy church, functions more like friends that become family, it's people choosing to lock in. It's people choosing to go through life together. It's people unusually loyal to each other. There's a shared interest. There's a common passion. There's a mutual investment. It's what a healthy church is supposed to be and how it can function. So for some of us, we would say, man, I, I am looking for some friends. Like, I'm kind of lonely. And whatever reason, you're out of school now, you moved in, whatever, right? You would look... And I would say, you should become a part of the church. That's an environment God created. The church is not a man-made organization. It's a God-made organization. Right? So it's an environment God created. Uh, some of you might say, I need some new friends. Like you said, full scoffer. I was like, done. That's all I needed to know. I need new friends, right? Well, the church, God created that environment for us to find relationships that can become real friendships in. Some of us would say, um, I have no idea how to be a friend. Because most friendships are created, they're not discovered. That's just a real, uh, a real deal. It really is. We romanticize it. It doesn't work that way. Most friendships are created, they're not discovered. And, and you don't know how to be a friend. If you don't know how to be a friend, you're never going to have friends. 
right? So the idea of someone knowing you and you knowing someone and you enjoying life, and be, it's like it's very, very appealing. You have no idea how to pull it off. And again, God would say yeah, that the environment of the church is the perfect environment to find it. Now, let me tell you, when you go to look for friends in the church, the church, the church is not services. It's not a big organization, right? A church is just a collection of people. So guess what? When you cram a bunch of people together, guess what you're going to find? You're going to find circumstantial friends. You're going to find seasonal friends. You're going to find lifelong friends. You're going to find destructive people. There's destructive friends in the church. Don't point. That's not nice at all, right? So, it's a, like, so you're going to find that, right? And you're also going to find friends that can be closer to than a family. You're going to find that there are people who will choose to be abnormally loyal to you. And it's friendship. It's the, it's the body of Christ. So this idea encompasses everything. It encompasses our relationships with each other, our relationship with God. It encompasses the, the, the heartbeat of Christ, which is the church of Jesus Christ. And when, when we dig into this and, and understand it and like let it become alive within us, you'll be fascinated and I think encouraged and excited about how much all of that is in the scripture and how it plays out in real time and the power of friendships through thick and thin. Good friends are hard to find, but they can be found and the Bible will guide us in that process. So I'm excited to have uh, this conversation. I'm gonna have fun. If you're not excited, that's up to you, but I'm gonna have a blast. You're welcome to join me. I think it's gonna be a party. And I'm, I'm looking forward to going through it and digging at it together. And I think you're gonna find it helpful in your life as well, all right? All right, I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna invite the band to come out. And as I pray, I just encourage you to take some time to, to think and to just be still with God a little bit. Part of what we're doing this weekend is we're making space for you to get out in the environment and maybe start seeking some friendships. So when you think about life groups, connect groups, all those kind of things, that's why we set this weekend up the way that we did, so that you would have the space to do that, enjoy the open house, look at the new building that the Lord has given us, and let's start being purposeful with this, right? And start pursuing these relationships even today. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for loving us, and thank you for being our friend uh, Lord, I am so grateful that we are not called to serve uh, a God that we have to fear, that if we mess up, you're going to get us. If we don't perform just right, you're going to discount us. But a God who desires to be our friend, it's mind-boggling that our creator God would create us to search for him, and then you make yourself available to us. It's beautiful, and I'm grateful for it. God, help us to download the depth of all of this, the depth of our relationships with each other and with you and with your church, and God, to take full advantage of that in every way. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.